Good morning, Timberlake Church. Don't give up. That's our message this morning. Don't give up. We're excited that you're here. If you're visiting, if you're a guest, we especially welcome you this morning. What a joy it is to welcome you into God's house and into this service of worship as we gather together to announce the good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he has life for us in his name. I want to invite you to read along as I share our gospel reading. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. So I want to tell you a story this morning about Abe. Abe was an ordinary young man. He came from a simple family. He had a simple life, uh, and yet it was a tough life. He had a lot, of, a lot of struggles. When he was 22 years old, Abe lost his job. He practiced law, and he was interested in public service. Uh, but at age 23, he ran for public office, and he lost. At age 25, he went into business with a partner, and his partner died, and the business failed. At age 26, his girlfriend died. At age 27, he had a nervous breakdown. At age 34, he ran for U.S. Congress, but he was defeated. At age 39, he sought an appointment in government, but he did not receive it. At age 49, he ran for the U.S. Senate, and he lost. Does this sound like a successful person to you? What do you think? It should. It should, because at age 51, Abe was elected president of the United States, as in Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. Life's not easy, right? Life is not easy. There will be struggles, and particularly when you decide to pursue God's dream for your life, you will come up against obstacles. That's how Satan works, is to try to defeat you. That's how life is. There are things thrown at us, and it's true that no God-sized dream is easily accomplished. It's just not easily done. It takes hard work. It takes effort. And so what is it that separates people who succeed from those who do not succeed? I want to suggest to you it's one simple idea, and that is perseverance. Everybody say perseverance. Perseverance, perseverance means we don't give up even when we feel like it. Perseverance means trusting that God's grace is bigger than the obstacles that we face. Perseverance means not settling for something that's easy and instead doing something we know will be hard because Jesus has asked us to do it. Today we're wrapping up our sermon series called Dare to Dream. And during these six weeks, we have been discovering a God-sized dream for our lives. It's my hope that you have a clearer idea now than you did before about who God is in your life and what God is calling you to do with the gifts you've received, with the abilities that God has given you. Do me a favor, pull out your Connections Journal. It looks like this. It's in your bulletin each week. We want you to have it. It's a great guide for your prayer and study through the week. You'll notice there are readings for each day. And in particular, I want you to look with me at Wednesday. Wednesday says, discovering a God-sized mission for my life. And you'll notice then uh, five different things over the five weeks that we have covered, clues about your mission. And your goal this week then is to go back and review those ideas. Hopefully you made some notes. Even if you didn't, hopefully you thought about these things. 
If you need to find all those items in one place, go to the website, the Connections Journal page, and click on the Dare to Dream worksheet. And that will be one place where you can find all of this information about writing your life mission statement. And then notice on Thursday it says, if you haven't already, write your life mission statement. We want you to actually put pen to paper and write down, starting with, my life mission is. And then you fill in the blank. And we want to encourage you to do that, and we want to encourage you to share it with someone else. There's great encouragement. There's great accountability. When you say to someone else, look what I've written. This is what God has laid on my heart. Would you give me some feedback about it? Would you pray for me about this thing that I'm setting out to do? So write it on paper. Share it with someone else this week. Now, by also by way of encouraging you, I want to share with you some of your mission statements that you shared with me. Some of our Timberlake people sent them into me this past week, and I want you to hear uh, what folks have said. These are great. So here's one from a Timberlake mom. This mom says, my life mission is to enjoy every single moment, to love unconditionally, and to help my daughter grow up to have a strong relationship with God and show her how to serve him wholeheartedly. Isn't that good? I love that. Here's one of our youth leaders' mission statements. My life mission is to bring young people to know Jesus Christ, to encourage young people and to develop their relationship with God through study and through prayer. That's awesome. Now, here's the mission statement of, of not of one person, but one of our ministry teams. This is our congregational health team. This is the group of folks that used to be known as the parish nurses, and now they're sort of expanding their uh, view, expanding their mission. They're being reformed even now. If you'd like to be a part of that, let us know. We'd love to get you connected. But here's their mission statement. I love this so much. With Jesus as our great physician... Our mission is to uphold each person's total well-being, acknowledging that well-being can exist in the presence of illness and that healing can exist in the absence of cure. Our goal is to provide health education, health screening, and spiritual support to the congregation as an expression of God's love. Isn't that awesome? That is such a high calling and a worthwhile goal. I'm so pleased that God is showing you God's call for your life. Let me encourage you. Keep dreaming great dreams for God. God is going to show it to you over time if you would just be open to what God wants from you. So all through this series, we've been telling the story of Moses. You remember the story of Moses, his birth to a Hebrew woman, his unlikely adoption by the daughter of the Pharaoh, his years as a prince of Egypt, his running away from Egypt, his work as a shepherd, his encounter with the living God in the burning bush, his confrontation of Pharaoh, his leading the people of God out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. This is the story of Moses, and we're going to pick it up this morning actually right at the end, right at Deuteronomy 34, which is the last chapter of the last book of the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. These are the books of Hebrew law that all Israel children would have known and understood this story. And so we've come right to the end of it, the end of Moses' story. And I want you to know from the time Moses had his burning bush experience until the time where we're going to pick up the story this morning, 40 years has passed. Okay, so he was 80 when God called him. Now he's 120 years old. And I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 and 4. The story says, Then Moses went up opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land. The Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. 
So God has delivered Moses and the Israelites to the promised land. This is the land that God swore to give them. This is the land that God promised to give them. And finally, Moses gets to see this vision realized. Now, one of the sort of sad notes of the story is Moses doesn't actually get to enter the land. But the people do. He has brought them to this place. This is the dream that they had hoped for. This is the dream that God had showed them. This is the dream that God put in Moses' heart 40 years earlier, calling him to the seemingly impossible task to free the Israelites and to bring them to this promised land. Now look with me at verses 5 and 7 and 8. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. At the Lord's command. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses 30 days. So Moses died there, just shy of the promised land, right on the edge of it. And he died and they buried him in that valley. And the story says they wept for Moses for 30 days. Now that was their custom, but you better believe that weeping was authentic and genuine because they loved Moses. They loved their leader and they understood they would not have made it to that place without his leadership. They would not have made it to that place without him getting them there. So why is it that Moses succeeded when so many other leaders fail? Well, look with me again at the second part of verse 7. It says, Moses was 120 years old, but his sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. Throughout all of his struggles, Moses could still see. He could still see. Now, we don't mean necessarily just literally like he had 20-20 vision. Maybe, maybe he did. But we mean figuratively, right? He had vision. He had focus. He kept his eyes on the prize. He could still see what God was calling him to do after all of those years. He had vision. And the story says then he had vigor. In other words, he had stamina. He had staying power. He stuck with the mission day after day and year after year. In other words, he had perseverance. Say perseverance. perseverance. Very good. Perseverance. Moses had a focus that allowed him to pursue this mission from God, not just over the course of days or weeks or months, but even years and even decades. Now, for some of us, that's hard to imagine, but I want you to imagine it, what faithfulness to God looks like, what perseverance looks like over decades of your life. This is the kind of vision that Jesus was talking about when he talked about making blind people be able to see. Of course, Jesus healed people physically, but he's also talking about a kind of spiritual blindness where we are blind to our brokenness and our sin, where we cannot see the future that God has for us because of our brokenness and our sin. And so Jesus not only healed physically and let people see, he also gave them eyes to see the grace of God. He also helped them to wake to the new thing that God had for them and give them clarity to focus on the one thing to which God was calling them, on their God dream. So we read from Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus is talking about vision. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. Then he said, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
What does that mean? Well, I think it means that what we see in our life, both literally and figuratively, shapes who we are as people. That the ideas that we focus on, the people we focus on, the things that we focus on, that is who we become. What we see is who we are. The eye is the lamp of the body. So in order to have a healthy relationship with God, in order to be a disciple, you need vision. You need to be able to see what God is laying out in front of you. You need to overcome distraction and keep your eyes on the one thing, on the God thing. Now, be honest this morning. How many of us are easily distracted? Okay, a lot of us, right? You know, life is full of distractions. Your iPhone and Facebook and the kids' soccer game and the television and your job and the list goes on and on and all of these things have the potential to distract us. Now, here's the catch. All of those things are good things, right? Your kids' soccer game is great. Your job, it's, we're blessed to have a job. But all of those things, good though they are, have the potential to distract us from the one thing. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. So we have to decide, are we going to serve the things of this world, good though they may be, or are we going to serve the God who blesses us with those things? We've got to either serve the gift or the giver. My friends, that's the invitation today to decide. Are we going to serve these things or are we going to serve Almighty God? So this vigilance, this kind of focus is cultivated within our relationship with God. This is what God will teach us when we make ourselves available to him. You know, it's been said that God doesn't care so much about our ability as our availability, and I've found that to be true. God wants an open heart. God wants people who are willing and open and ready to respond to the call. And I want you to notice that in the story of Moses, the way that Moses kept that focus, the way he continued to encounter God was in the mountains. You ever notice how many times in the story he goes to the mountains to meet God? And so in the burning bush, he was on the mountain and he met God there. And later he would go to Mount Sinai and he would receive the law on top of that mountain. And now as he's come to the promised land, he's once again in the mountains with God. We see a similar pattern in the life of Jesus. You know, the life of Jesus is this coming around the crowds and then going away again. There's a rhythm about his life and about his ministry. And so Jesus would go and he would touch people and heal people and preach. But you know, that it's, it's exhausting to do that. And so after he did that, he would go away by himself or with a few friends and he would go into the mountains to retreat and to rest and to talk with his heavenly father. I want to suggest to you that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to go into the mountains. We need to go get away for retreat, for rest and renewal and respite so that we can remember this dream that God is giving us, so that we can remember the grace of God for us. Now, we are fortunate to live in this place in where we live in Lynchburg and be surrounded by beautiful mountains, right? And I know some of you already have the habit of going in the mountains, and you go hiking or camping or hunting or fishing. So if you do that already, let me encourage you to think about that time not only as refreshment for your body and for your mind, but also for your soul. To say to yourself, I'm going to go away today, I'm going to fish or I'm going to hike, and I'm going to meet God there. And God shows up, my friends. God always shows up. God will meet you there. 
Now, if you don't have a regular pattern of retreat, let me encourage you to consider it. And it doesn't have to be a literal mountain. You don't have to actually go to the mountain. But you need to go somewhere. You need to get away, and you need to have quiet time for just you and God or you and God and and some intimate friends to listen for God to speak to your life. This is what makes perseverance possible, is when we go away so we can be filled up again with the grace of God. And i got to tell you, this is one of the most life-giving habits that I have developed for ministry over the past several years. It's my habit every year to get away on, on a retreat for a few days at a time, usually in the summer or the fall, and listen for God to speak to my life and discern a vision for the coming year for ministry. And so this year I took three days in August, and I'm going to take another three days in November. And my only task is to listen for God to speak to show me what God would have us do as a congregation for the coming year, 2017. What is ministry going to look like? What is God's vision for our church? My job as the lead pastor is to discern that vision with your help and then to share it and then to help lead the people of God in the way that God would have us go. So all this is great, right? Perseverance and focus and vision and retreat. But let's be honest. Let's be honest, sometimes life doesn't always go so beautifully. Sometimes you're saying, you know, I've been trying hard to figure this idea of call out, and I just don't know. I feel stuck, or, or I haven't really heard from God. I've been listening, but I haven't heard from God. So maybe you've been following with these sermons all through the series. You've been reading the scriptures we've asked you to read. You've been praying the prayers we've asked you to pray, and you're saying still, gosh, I just don't know. I just not, I don't have clarity like I want. My friends, if that's where you are this morning, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Take heart. You are not alone, and you will make it through this, okay? Don't give up. So first of all, be patient with God. Be patient with God. I know that's hard, right? Patience is hard. We are not a very patient people. But you can trust God, that God has something good for your life. God has something better than you could even imagine for yourself. So be patient that God knows what God's doing with your life. Secondly, besides patience, the other thing I need for us to get is there is a caveat to this whole sermon series. And the caveat is this. It is possible for us to overemphasize God's specific call for you and me, our unique call and neglect God's universal call for every Christian. In other words, we could spend all of our time agonizing over what is my own particular little thing God's calling me to, and in the meantime, miss the invitation from God for all of God's people to do what God would have us do. So for example, if you open the Bible, it's really clear. God wants every person to love their neighbor. Okay, so that does not take hours and hours to discern it. You don't have to spend weeks and weeks in prayer on your knees. It's right there in black and white in the Bible. It says, love your neighbor. So if you don't know what else to do, start with that. Start with loving your neighbor. Don't let yourself become paralyzed by uncertainty and fear. You need to understand 90% of your call and 90% of my call is the same. We share 90% of our call is the same as every other Christian. And I'm thinking about things like prayer and fasting, things like clothing the naked and visiting the sick and welcoming the stranger and feeding the hungry. That is very clear in the Scripture. These are the things that we are to do. Don't feel like you have to have all the rest figured out just now. Uh, I wonder, have you ever met those Christians who uh, they don't really seem to do anything for God or their neighbor, and they'll tell you, I'm waiting on the Lord. 
I'm waiting on the Lord. My friends, there's a time for waiting, and there's a time for action. So let's not pretend like we don't know what to do because Jesus has called us to live this life. Jesus has made it plain, and it is in the doing of those things that your particular call will emerge. It is in the doing of those basic things that Jesus asks of every disciple that your particular call will emerge. Now here at Timberlake, we have said there are four things that we're committed to as disciples. We come to worship each week. We participate in a life group. We serve our neighbor through mission, and we give financially as we are able. And I hope you heard that in the vows that Christopher and Brittany made. Those are the things that we commit to as disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the best of what we know about how to follow Jesus. Worship, life group, mission, and giving financially. And we go from there. Now, I want to encourage you this morning, because I know that struggles are normal. The struggle is real, as the kids say today, right? Our brother Moses certainly had his own share of struggles. Uh, When he finally went to Pharaoh after much complaining and, and resisting, Pharaoh did not say, okay, sure, Moses, whatever you want, right? Pharaoh said, absolutely not. I'm not giving up to all this free labor I have from the Israelites. And so Moses went back again. And again, and again. Do you know the story? He went back not twice or three times. He went back nine times to Pharaoh. And he said, God says, let my people go. And a few times along the way, it looked like Pharaoh was going to change his mind. But then he didn't. And and Moses, we had to go back again and again. And it was on that ninth visit, something interesting happened. Pharaoh had had enough, and he got angry with Moses. And he said to Moses, you get out of here. Make sure you never see my face again, because if you do, I will kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's pretty persuasive. If the king says, if I see your face again, I will end your life, you know, I'm thinking, okay, cool, Mr. Pharaoh, yeah, I'll see you around, buddy, and uh, have a nice life, and I will never come here again. But what did Moses do? He went back again for a tenth time, and he said, let my people go, and God sent a tenth plague, this one we know as the Passover, and the spirit passed over the land and struck down all the firstborn Egyptian animals and children, and finally Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here and leave my sight, and Moses led the people out of slavery. But see, Moses' struggles weren't just from Pharaoh. Moses had some of his own making, right? He had some of his own complaining and some of his own reservations about whether he could really do this or not. Moses had some struggles that came from his own people. So it wasn't very long. He led them out into the wilderness, and they started complaining. Now, I know you cannot imagine the people of God complaining, but just try for a second. And they said, Moses, you know, manna again? Come on, dude. It's manna for breakfast and manna for lunch and manna for dinner. Can we get some grilled chicken and mashed potatoes, please? Can we get some meatloaf and green beans? Can we get pork chops one night? That's a joke. They're Jewish. They don't eat pork. Okay. (laughs) Stay with me. Stay with me. But they were complaining, right? Moses, Moses, just take us back to Egypt. We give up. You know, we want to go back. Have you ever felt like that before? You ever felt ready to give up? And you know, Can we just go back to the good old days when everything was perfect, you know? I'm inviting you to make a decision today. I'm inviting you to decide whether or not the word quit is in your vocabulary. I'm inviting you to decide whether or not you're going to move forward with God's call on your life. In spite of the uncertainty, in spite of the obstacles you may face, in spite of the struggles that are in your life, to say, I'm going to do this because Jesus has invited me to do it. To decide to be a person of perseverance. Say perseverance. perseverance. 
the American writer Robert Louis Stevenson said, saints are sinners who kept on going. Saints are sinners who kept on going. My friends, it's true. It's true. The difference between those who do and those who don't, the difference between those who are effective in this life and those who are not, the difference between those who fulfill God's dream and those who just stay in their seat and say, oh, that's impossible, I could never do that. The difference between those two kinds of people is not ability and it's not resources and it's not experience. The difference is perseverance. The difference is an attitude that says, I will not quit. No matter what, I'm not going to quit. And I want you to understand something this morning. I want you to understand the source of this kind of perseverance. We read from Deuteronomy, the end of Moses' story. Forty years after meeting God at the burning bush, he finally he's delivered the Israelites to the edge of the promised land. And for that, he's a champion of the faith, right? And even the Bible says so. It's great. At the end of Deuteronomy, it says, Never since has there been a prophet like Moses. He was unequaled for the signs and the wonders he performed for all his mighty deeds of power. So we would do well to emulate Moses, right? But never forget who the real hero of the story is. Go back with me just a few verses. A little earlier in Deuteronomy 34, verse 4, listen again to what God said. This is the land I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will give it to your descendants. Now, this is what God has been promising to the Israelite people all along, all the way back beginning with Abraham. So what you, I want you to see this morning is the very first time this promise was uttered from the lips of God to the people of God was to Abraham. And to get that, you have to go all the way back to the beginning, all the way to Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham, I will give you this land. Go from your country, and I will show it to you. I want you to realize something this morning. From the time of this first promise to Abraham in Genesis, now to when the Israelites finally have arrived at the promised land, almost 500 years have passed. Almost 500 years. Now remember, not 500 years of bliss. 500 years of the Israelites' disobedience and their idolatry and their complaining and not once did God give up on them. Not once did God turn his back on his people. My friends, that is the faithfulness of God for you. That is the passion of God. That is how much God loves you. Always remember, God is the hero of the story. God is the one who never gives up. God is the one who is faithful. God is the one who will deliver you to where you need to be. God is the one who will help you achieve your vision. God is the one who will help you realize your dream. Thanks be to God.